And now, and now, the best of Pete Price. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7. It's a big thing, isn't it, Jean, for people to even come on and talk about this? Peter, it is. It's a very hidden condition. Um, It's a very shameful condition. And I recognised from about age of 16 that I was suffering. I knew I was a very anxious child, a very nervous child. Um, My mother and father were the same, so I think part of it is hereditary. Since my own dad didn't go out the house for 30 years and had, had agoraphobia, and my mother actually was so afraid of being buried alive that one day when I came down, I was 19, and there was a piece of paper, and it was on the wall. It says, cremate me when I die, and she'd read in a, in a newspaper that somebody had been buried alive, and it dwelt and dwelt on her mind, and she couldn't mm. chase it out, so therefore that's why she, she put that. But, um, so obviously, yeah, um, I think, well, for me, it goes back to my childhood, and I'm now 66, and I've had... Lee, before we talk about you, tell me more about your mother. How did she cope day for day for day? My mother, um, okay, we were very poverty-stricken, um, because my father never went out for 30 years, my dad was a cripple, but it wasn't, it was, that wasn't the part that stopped him from going out. Um, he was acrophobic. He had a choking phobia, so he could barely swallow his food. He was so full of anxiety. So therefore, my mother never went out, and um, she didn't go out shopping, and so I had to hide my family. I couldn't have friends because I didn't want anybody to know that my family wasn't the same as others. And um, so my mother, eventually, um, she got some comfort in drink. And for moments, she felt better. But it deceived her and killed her at 49. Um, She thought it was helping her. But basically, it was making her more depressed because I didn't realise then that drink is a depressant. Oh, so it's terrible, terrible. Correct. doesn't so, get rid of problems at all. You know, it lifted her for moments. Mm-hmm. And for those moments, she thought, this is good. But no, it didn't cure her at all. And it only actually made things worse. Let's, let's talk about you, Jean. So tell us yes, how, how well, it affects you. Um, we'll say it from 16, which is 50 years ago. Um, I was realised I went, when I was walking just in the city centre or wherever, I had to go back to shop windows and look and check and check and check. If I was reading a book, I'd have to go back over the words, the letters, count the full stops. I couldn't borrow a book because if I gave the book back to the person, I was so desperately anxious and wanted to go back and get it back. Um, The checking was one of the first things, really, that I noticed Although I kept a job down till I was 40, um, I just hid my condition from people. Um, and it went from the compulsive checking to the compulsive washing, where I was washing my hands all day. Um, I was walking around in the summertime with gloves on. I was in the house now because I couldn't touch things, ordinary, every things like the television, um, the radio, the telephone because I couldn't, was, had difficulty and anxiety touching them, I now wore rubber gloves in the house 
because I was so tired of washing my hands because I went up to 80 times a day. But then it was my body because I had to take, used to have to keep taking my clothes off. Then I had to get in the shower and I suddenly realised realize that when I got out the shower, I hadn't washed under my ring. So I was panicking because I thought, well, I'm still dirty. Under that ring, I haven't been washed. So I had to go back in the shower again. So therefore, I stopped doing things. Um, let, me, let me stop you there. Yeah. The ring. So does that mean you're married? I was engaged. Right. And I wore my engagement ring. Did you lose your fiancé because of your OCD? I was with I was with him for twenty six years. Oh right, how how did you cope with the problem then, with him and your OCD? Most probably because I lived in two houses. I lived with my sister, and I made my sister so ill, and which caused me so much guilt. Because even to this very moment, um, she has this condition in a different form, but it's very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, because I lived in two houses, it made it a bit better. But we. I bought a house with my fiancé, but couldn't live in it. He lived in the house himself. And therefore, I now suffer some, some dreadful guilt because um, I lost him. He was 59. And, and so... Yeah, but you shouldn't have terrible, terrible guilt, surely, if you had 26 fabulous years with him. Well, I'm so filled with guilt because um, it's like um, somebody who's an alcoholic, the family goes through almost... <coughs> as much as the person yeah. because they're watching the person and the condition then involves the, because I was with Tommy every day um, we loved each other and we were there for each other 24-7 but so now mm. when I'm in the house with Tommy it's Tom wash your hands you've touched your laces you've yeah. done this but the, the washing the hands was never enough because if I put my hands on the tap <laughs> and wash my hands how could I put my hand back on the tap to turn it off? Because I touched it with a dirty hand. The picture you've left us with is getting into the shower, coming out, realising you've got your engagement ring on and then having to go back in, completely start again, because people can't relate to this, can they, at all? Um, no, no, they can't relate to it. Um, but, I mean, so therefore, for, I stopped wearing my ring... And thought, well, that won't happen again. But then um, it was getting out the shower and put my feet on the floor. I was afraid to put my underwear over my feet because my feet had touched the floor and that would be contaminated. And I was afraid of wearing long skirts. I did have a very bad fear of dog excrement um, because if I wore long skirts and they went upstairs or downstairs, to me, that's, you know, I had a terrible fear of this dog dirt. Um, if anybody, if I dropped my, my keys on the floor, they were contaminated. So I'd then wait outside of the door for Tom to come in so we could use his keys because I use, couldn't use mine. But um, then um, I was afraid then to use the hairdryer because that was trailing the floor, the um, plug. So I then had my hair in a curly style so I could just wash it and leave it. So everything was then... Um, tr- I was trying then to... Um, fit everything in to try and lessen the anxiety because the anxiety was so so terrible. Were you having any treatment or help at this time? Well, I was going to the doctors. Um, in the 60s, this condition wasn't spoken of. Um, I was given Valium and I slept through the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. And I loved to sleep because I could just have an escape, escapism. And it was um, peace for me to sleep. 
and I never lived all those years, lots and lots of years. But I was given, I didn't know Valium were downers, and I, the, the, I mean, I did have depression, but I was on downers for years and years. And um, I'll just tell you, because obviously I couldn't go into it all, um, I did have also the compulsive hoarding now, because um, when I threw something away, I would have the anxiety and I would want it back. But it then started to be the rubbish, and I started to hoard rubbish, which it made my sister ill, and for that I feel so guilty. And my sister even said I might sort of stabbed her because she couldn't live a life. Um, she had to give a job up um, because there were things we were too, we were so close as friends. And say, for instance, one day we went pat down the street. We didn't ever go out together now, but then we would go out together, and I would see a funeral, and I would say, "Quick, let's go the other way." I was frightened of loss. Um, but also lots of other things. If I comb my hair and threw it away, I was worried where it would go. If I was on a building site, would it go under the ground and would it be there for a 100 years? And how was the hair? Was it curled that week? And I used to wrap hair in tissues. Um, everything was touched um, with tissues, which to this moment I still use them. Hundreds of them. I've got to, I've got to interrupt you here, yeah. Jean, because I've had an email about you. Right? You ready? This is lovely. Dear Peter, I have known Jean for 32 years. Her and her sister have been through so much with this illness. Jean is a wonderful person, even though she's got and gone through this. She has a wonderful heart and a very, very kind, gentle person. Isn't that nice? From Vera? I don't deserve, I don't deserve that's from Vera. That's from Vera. That, that's so kind. Vera is a friend of mine and I went to her house because I did stop visiting people and um, I, she's been in her house for 12 years and I went to see her the other night for the first time because it was difficult when I was in the houses. Mm -hmm. I was checking things in people's houses so therefore the next day I would have to walk past the house and look in the window to see and uh, what was that third thing on the shelf? Was it an ornament? Was it a car? And so I stopped doing things and stopped living. And, OK... Um, How do I, you feel about your life, looking back? Wasted. So wasted. I never took part. I didn't have children. I didn't, I didn't marry. I just... It's a wasted life, people have told me. Um, and it's just unbelievable my brother said i i say i'm so weak but my brother says you must be strong to put up with this all these years well you must be i couldn't mm. agree, couldn't agree with him more actually when you think about it, it, it that's a hell of a statement you must be strong <laughs> some I, people some people would would take their own life because they correct, couldn't live like this correct yeah i thought i thought about that you know those type of things i thought but I did end up, um, I was in hospital a couple of times, and then I went to a hospital in London, which is called the Bethlehem, which specialises in the condition, and um, Professor Marks, um, was, he wrote a book, and um, you have to feel the fear and do it anyway, and you have to read the book. Well, I couldn't buy the book and read it, so Tom read the book to me without me touching it. And then I went to London. I won't, I won't keep you long now. Please. No, you stay as long as you want, because um, if you're helping other people, this is what the programme's about tonight, regardless of what that email said. So carry on. OK. Um, I, I managed... Um, I was now... It was now eating my food and drinking cups of tea. I was eating over the sink, so because I was counting all the crumbs. It does have a lot to do with numbers, thoughts, letters. 
So therefore, um, I was now drinking the cups of tea, stirring the cup round, counting the bubbles on the top, throwing the cup of tea away, trying again. And right till this day, I now, when I make a cup of tea, I actually turn around and put the teacup in, turn around, pour the boiling water in, it sometimes grows my hand. And I've got to do it this way because this is the only way I can cope because I've got my sister who is my very best friend and I know how much I've hurt her. And that's, that hurts me more than anything because I've hurt her deeply. But I didn't do it purposely. Are you but, any better today than you were? I'm a little better because I'm on the, what they call the medical drug. And it's the Prozac. And I've had a bit of relief. But it hasn't cured me. But um, Do you go to any health groups to talk to other um, people? I go to, um, I do go to a centre yeah. Yeah, where I talk to people. Yeah. But up till this very day, I'm still not cured. Um, but I've actually um, was desperate to, do, to leave a book behind because I've got no children. My sister's got no children. My <coughs> brother's got no children. And things that my mother's kept, like... My mum's father won the Nationalised Stedford, which is a competition in Wales. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all them things is going to go in the bin. I'm, nearly, I'm, I'm 66, and I, I was desperate to, le- to leave a book behind. So um, I've now almost completed it. And um, I've, got, I've got many things about the condition, but it's also a book of poetry. And there's about 43 <coughs> poems in it. So I've... Um, I just um, want to leave something behind of my life. Jean, how hard was it to pick up the phone tonight? Um, picking up the phone is easier than it, than it was, but I've now got two phones, so I have to confuse myself because there's one in that room and one in that room. So if I'm worried about this one, then I'll go to the other phone. If you don't mind me asking you, when you put the phone down now, tell me what you'll do in the next 15 minutes. Well, um... It all depends how I feel. I can even worry about fingerprints. Um, I can even wipe a phone over, but having the two phones helps because if I've only got one of a thing, for instance, some, some certain chairs in my house I can't sit on, so tomorrow I'll sit on a different one until I've forgotten to worry about this one. So I'll go on to another one. It's so strange, but I'll tell you one thing before I go. Um, probably one of one of the things which is most serious that happened. Uh, I ran after a piece of rubbish. It was only a, it was only a leaf, and I was in the cemetery, and it was going to go down a hole. And I thought, I'll never see that leaf again. And it was twisted. I had to, and I jumped, and I fell over and dislocated and fractured my finger. And it's. Still, till this day, it's disfigured. So that's how bad it can take. It can kill you. Jean, what do you say to anybody out there that's listening that thinks, well, they know they've got a problem, but they they feel alone, isolated? Well, I feel, um, well, talking to people does help, but I feel that the thing that's helped me is the medication. Because this medication makes you laugh. I was, I, all the tears have dried because, but sometimes you break out into laughter, which, you know, which is not a good thing sometimes. But I find the medication has been the biggest help and the Prozac. Okay, it might not work for everybody, but I do believe it's got something to do with the serotonin in the brain um, because the brain is a very complex part of the body and it's such an amazing thing, thing is the brain. But I do think, believe it's to do with this serotonin and... The Prozac puts that back into the brain. 
Jean, it's actually a physical complaint, really. You're a fascinating lady. If you ever want to come on and talk again, you know where the phone is. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about OCD and we're going to talk now to Catherine Mills, who's from the Liverpool Support Group for OCD. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Peter. I know it's a big step for you to come on and talk about this, but I really am glad because if we can help other people, because what we're finding, Catherine, is people don't know. And then we talk about it as we're going to now and all of a sudden people go, that's me. Yes. Yes, I understand that. People don't realise there's a problem, do they? Mm-hmm. No, no, and it's, it's often referred to as the secret illness, OCD. Right, now before we talk about your problem, tell us what the support group does. Right, well, um, we're a support group. We've been running about five or six years now, and at the moment there's about 10 to 12 of us meet on a monthly basis. And we listen to one another. We, we get things off our chest. Um, it's a very supportive environment. And I guess what we really try to do is to sort of share coping strategies. And if one of us is having a problem, the others will kind of chip in with maybe methods and techniques that the person can use to overcome that problem. Why is it a problem? Have you discovered from all of you, once again, without talking about your problem right now, but why do you think it's a problem? When people um, reach the point where they have a diagnosis of OCD, it's because it's, it's incredibly disabling and interfering with their lives to such an extent, often to the fact that people can't work, can't do social activities, can't, can't, often can't engage with, with society. Well, if that's the case, then I must have a mild form of OCD because I can cope with life, but I still have to do what I have to do. Yes. It is a matter of degree, Peter. I think some people are sort of, if you can think of it as a sort of spectrum disorder, uh, some people might fit on the the kind of milder end, Mm. other people on the very severe and disabling end. I think I must be on the mild end, because I'll tell you what it is. (laughs) If, If I'm ready to meet you, if I'm going for a meeting, and I'm never late, I'm never late, I loathe and hate being late, but I rake my carpets at home. Um, so I, 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 everything has to be tidy and then I rake my, rake my carpets after I've hoovered I rake my carpets yes. I like the look of the flat it looks mm-hmm. to me then as if it is uh, brand new and a home but also if anybody <laughs> if anybody robs me their footprints will be in my carpet right. yes. That's uh, now however late I am or nearly late I've still got to do that carpet yes yeah. Mm. Tell us about tell us about yours. Right. Well, I've suffered from OCD since I was a teenager. I'm I'm now 48, <laughs> uh, so I've had it a long time, uh, and it it, follow, it came with me uh, as as I say as a young person, and it followed the onset. I also have Tourette syndrome, and the two often do coexist. And I have various problems. Some some of my problems are intrusive thoughts. Uh, I have very, very distressing thoughts about awful things happening to the people I love. Uh, I also have issues with contamination. And at one point in my life, I was washing my hands to the point they were just red raw they, they, with, with, with washing. Um, and I also have um, a problem with compulsively checking things. And there's this issue of perfectionism that you raised earlier. I will check documents and pieces of work that I do that goes way beyond normal sort of conscientiousness. It, it would become a matter of being up all night checking every fine detail of things. Have you watched your problem grow or has it always been this severe? No, it has grown. Um, it, 
grew because I wouldn't tell anyone about it, I think. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was treated for depression and I was treat- also treated for an eating disorder as I had at the time. And I wouldn't tell anyone about this, uh, uh, what uh, ended up be- becoming OCD. And it wasn't until I was 35 that um, I actually confided in a psychologist because I was so ashamed of some of the thoughts I was having and some of my behaviours. Now, speaking to a hypnotherapist, David Lang said the most important thing is to recognise you've got a problem. Yes, and and I didn't until I was quite into, well, as I say, 35. I've been very fortunate in that, I mean, at the age of 35, I had quite a bad breakdown. I had to give up work. Um, But I've had wonderful support from Mercy Care NHS Trust. I've had a psychiatrist and a psychologist who have seen there for since, well, for the last 13 years, and they've really helped me on my way to get to grips with the OCD. Do you have a partner in life? No, I don't. Um, Is that a problem for you with OCD? Yes, it is. And I think a lot of people with OCD find they do tend to isolate themselves because of the nature of their illness. And I certainly have because of the nature of my illness. Catherine, is there any cure for OCD that you know of? I think this is always an interesting point. Um, I don't believe there's a cure as such, but I do believe people can be enabled to manage their condition very well. Mm. And that's what's happened with me through the help of my therapist. And I've also attended the Maudsley Hospital in London for therapy. And I feel now, although I still have an awful lot of problems, I manage them a lot better. I deal with them. I don't let them grind me down quite as much as what they used to. Catherine, would you get angry if somebody said, oh, for God's sake, get a grip of yourself, you stupid person? Um, I'd get upset, I think, because I think you have no idea no. What, what, what this illness is. If you, for instance, didn't wash your hands, have you still got that problem or are you all right? It's not as bad as it was. If you went to bed now without washing your hands, explain Mm. to listeners what you would feel. I would feel an intense sense of anxiety, and that anxiety would grow and grow. And probably what would happen is that my intrusive thoughts would come in thicker and faster. Everything would sort of be hyped up, really. And also, as I said, I have a problem with Tourette's syndrome, so I do tend to have involuntary movements, and that would get worse. Everything would heighten. Now, if you then went and washed your hands, how do you feel after that? Right. This is, this is important, this point. In the short term, I would feel better. It would relieve the anxiety. But in the long term, it's the worst thing you can do. Because if when you go for treatment and you have what, what's known as cognitive behavioural therapy, the therapist sticks with you and helps you ride that anxiety. Because what will happen is that after about half an hour, an hour maybe, maybe longer, that anxiety will gradually subside, even if you don't wash. Have you ever had a day without a problem? No, never. Do you not think that's tragic? Um... I think there have been uh, times in my life when, yes, I think those days have been tragic. I, I think now, through the help that I've had, I'm out. I'm, I'm still not working in paid employment, but I'm out doing voluntary work and in, involved in lots of things with Mersey Care. And my quality of life has improved a lot. So I try to count the blessings rather than what I've lost. If I think of look back on what I've lost, I, 
it, it would just drag me down. Catherine, how big a problem is it? Do we know? Well, it's estimated that um, possibly 2% of the population have OCD to some degree. And I think it's a massive problem. And I think people struggle with it. And um, because of the embarrassment and the shame of it, they, they often won't, won't tell, say, their doctor or even their loved ones. Without mentioning names, the group of people that you're with, have people got bigger problems than you? Different problems. Yeah. Um, so it's not a bigger problem, it's a different problem. It's a different problem, yeah. yes. Some people with OCD have a wide sort of spectrum of problems like contamination, intrusive thoughts, checking, perfectionism. Other people might have one particular problem that's very bad. Other people might have five or six problems. What would you say to people listening now that are relating to what you're saying and never thought about it or did think about it but didn't want to think about it? I'd say go and get help because there are understanding people out there. When I opened up to my therapist, I'll be honest with you, Peter, because of the nature of some of my thoughts, I thought I'd be locked away forever. I thought, that's it. They'll throw away the key when they know the kind of things I'm thinking. And they didn't. They, the therapist responded with total sensitivity, total understanding. And as a result, I've come through a diagnosis and come through 10 years of treatment and I'm a much stronger person for it. If you have these really wicked thoughts that you're so ashamed of that you thought would be locked up, have they found out why you have those thoughts? Um, not particularly why. I think it's just part and parcel of that's how it affects some people with OCD and why it might be down to genetic factors, it might be biological, it might be hormonal. They really don't quite know what causes them. But mm. what I have to emphasise with people with OCD, there is no intent. People with OCD, however awful their thoughts are, they will not act upon them because they are actually absolutely abhorrent to the person. If anybody out there listening now uh, wants to get in touch, can they get in touch with your group? Yes, they can. I can give you some contact details, Peter. Yeah. Um, they can either get in touch with um, Catherine, that's with a C, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, at ocduk.org. Or if it's regarding the local support group as well, I can give you the number of Dave Williams from PSS. He, he and I co-facilitate co the group. And Dave's number is 0151 487 9 Or dave.williams at pss.org. Dot UK. And ladies and gentlemen, we will put all those contacts on our website. So if you go to Radio City or City Talks website onto Pete Price's page, there is a thing there called Pete's Directory. You'll find everything that Catherine has just given you and that maybe might help you. Uh, Catherine, I really appreciate you helping. I know it was hard for you to come on, uh, but you might have helped somebody by doing that. Catherine I hope Mills. So, Peter, and if I can just say thank you to Mercy Care NHS Trust and PSS who, who helped run the group and fund the group. Thank you to them. Well, I've got to ask you then, uh, are you worried about the cuts? Of course, like everyone. Um, I know Mercy Care is facing cuts. I, I believe PSS are as well. Um, and 
we're, we're always, I guess, competing in an increasingly difficult environment for, for the, the funds to, to keep our groups and things running. Catherine Mills, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Peter. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7.